Welcome to Take Another Look with Gerda Felix and Melanie Tadio Malo with a genuine conversation about what's missing from the human connection. Let's join Melanie and Gerda now. Good day and welcome to another episode of Take Another Look where we see you just as you are fully. I'm your host, Melanie Tadio Malo, and I'm joined by my fabulous co-host, Gerda Felix. Gerda, how are you? I am well, thank you, Melanie, and how are you? I am totally excited today. Today is our first official interview. Woohoo! <laughs> yes, going up I am now. very excited. <laughs> yes, we're getting there, we're getting there. But before we bring on our guest who's joined us, Let's just talk a little bit about what we're talking about today. Now, we know our podcast is all about having uncomfortable conversations and really getting to the root of things, as you and I like to say, we like to peel back the layers, really go deep, find out what people's perspectives are. One thing that I've noticed recently, well, again, I say recently, let's just face it, it happens all the time, is the people around us, Gerda, have you noticed if you don't have the right people around you, life can definitely take some curveballs, hit some walls. Yes. Yes. And you're being very generous with your words. It could be hell. (laughs) I might as well say it. It could be hell. (laughs) Yes. 100%. I was trying to do the politically correct way, but yes, (laughs) it is stressful when you don't have the right people around you. So surrounding ourselves with people that are uplifting, that have your best interest at at heart and want to help you succeed is the only way I feel it is proper in our lives to take us to that next level. What do you think? Absolutely. Because when you surround yourself with like-minded people, it feels, it almost feels like who you are, the people around you are an extension of who you are. And it's the same for them as well. So there's no yin and yang. <laughs> there's no such thing. There's mostly collaboration. It's true, but when you get those people around you that are a little jealous, envious, perhaps, or just want to see you fail, oh my goodness, watch out then. Absolutely, yes. And it's not fun. It's not fun for anyone. It's not fun for the people who are in the relationship, and it's not fun for people who are around them either. Very true. And our guest today is somebody that we have in our inner circle. So we definitely think she's something amazing. Yes, <laughs> she is. She is. And I like to say that she is, you know, when, for example, when someone has not, they have not gone to one university, but they received a diploma from that university. So I, I like to call her, her, our honorary member for a group. <laughs> Absolutely, because she is the brains behind the operations, all the technical stuff. She helps us with social media, getting the podcasts out there, and so much more. Yes, yes. And what a pleasure. What a pleasure, a joy, a delight to work with our guest. And because I'm going to let you, since you know, you've known her more, like, 
<laughs> oh, I can see Liz. Me. Liz. Okay, yes. I am. So I would good. like you to introduce her. So, Liz Hodgson is a beautiful woman, inside and out. She has so many hats that she wears. She's a digital marketing expert, social media expert. She is an MFA. So, oh boy, well, the Masters of Fine Arts candidate, who's working in film. She's creative. She's a teacher, but she's also a business entrepreneur. Huh, Liz, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Welcome, Liz. <laughs> I, I have to grab that. Uh, I have to edit that MP3 out and just grab it and listen to it when I'm feeling down. Thank you so much, <laughs> ladies. That was so kind. <laughs> so much. Now we just gave a little bits of tidbits. Now we really want to hear it from you. Tell us about yourself, Liz. Who is Liz? Yeah, I think when you said wears many hats, that feels very true. And I think that always has been true of me ever since I was little. Um, definitely always had an entrepreneurial spirit. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a, you know, Jill of all trades, I suppose. And maybe that also comes from my background in film. Um, and as an independent artist or indie filmmaker, you know, you do have to figure out how to do a lot of things because uh, you don't have the budget to hire people to do those things. So you have to figure out how to do a lot by yourself. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I'm at heart a, a documentarian. That's what I went to school studying initially when I was in my undergrad at York for film. Uh, but I've moved kind of forward through working in the creative arts field with persons with disabilities uh, in the in the theater scene, but also um, taking additional sort of education and marketing and social media, and that all sort of lumps into the same goal of being an artist and figuring out how to uh, get my name out there or to produce works. And um, uh, all of that education and experience sort of came together in my current role, where I teach individuals or adults as well, uh, individual adults with disabilities. Um, accessible media. So we're looking at how to make media more accessible for everybody and inclusive for everybody. And um, yeah, I'm also pursuing my master's of cinema media arts. Uh, and so I'm making a documentary right now um, at York. And that's, that's me right now, I suppose. Now, Liz, I have to apologize right here now. I'm just noticing you have Liz Noble up. So you have the two names. And I, when I met you, it was yes Hudson, and now it's noble yeah. so i do yeah. apologize so everybody okay. welcome liz noble <laughs> it's either or i honestly yeah hodson is what i'm used to so it's all good <laughs> yes well thank you so much Gerda? yes thank you liz and again the pleasure to have you here and i know i might i know we've prepared questions and i might go a little bit off the questions as i hear you say certain things filmmaker tell us a little bit more about that what is the passion that yeah. because you said film and i'm excited so tell us yeah you know film has been an interesting um i'll bring you back even further in terms of the first time i got my hands on a camera um, and, you know, I, I'm a daughter of a, a photographer. So my father worked in um, commercial photography. Uh, ever, like I grew up running around his studio. I grew up, you know, seeing uh, film being processed and 
um, the creative side, but also the business side of, of photography. And um, I come from a long line of photographers and meaning into like when photography was kind of a science experiment and not sort of like a popular thing to be doing. Um, I had, you know, parts of great, great, great uncles uh, who were working with photography in the 1900s in Toronto. We have, um, we, we can trace that back. So I come from a long line of um, people working kind of with film or photography. And um, I always wanted to use the cameras my dad was using, you know, as a young person, you're not going to give a kid that kind of equipment, but <laughs> I got my hands on a digital camera when, um, or pardon me, it really was actually still film, like loading film into a camera. And um, I loved documenting life. So I, I was really fascinated with taking photos at family gatherings or taking photos of just like a day-to-day -day thing, like walking my dog or just like documenting a process. And that also came about in audio as well. I, I forgot to mention, I'm interested in podcasting and audio. And that kind of comes with the same, within the same vein of filmmaking. You kind of have to know those areas of film as well, especially as an independent filmmaker. And I was, I got very, you know, very fascinated by recording sounds and talking to people and singing on like tape or whatever, playing an instrument on tape and listening to it back. And so I think that's the process of documenting. That's the process of sort of remembering or, or you know, taking memories out of your head, but having like a physical um, version of that memory. And um, I, that's why I just pursued uh, filmmaking in university. There wasn't any question for me. Um, I remember listening to my guidance counselors after I had applied uh, to only film programs. I remember hearing our guidance counselors in high school say, you know, you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. And I thought, oh, shoot, that's exactly what I just did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, you know, I went into university at York and I, um, I pursued documentary, uh, documentary filmmaking and, um, I, I specifically would work on projects about, you know, anybody, anything from people who are disenfranchised or anybody who experiences sort of otherhood or a difference, um, and not usually focused on individuals with disabilities and, um, also typically had an artistic sort of in like artistic um, uh, passion or, or, or theme, I guess you could say within the film. So yeah, it's always just been a part of what I've done. Wow, that is amazing. I know, well, now I know that you do things that I like because I love movies. And so now, since you know that our program today is about surround, surrounding ourselves with the people that we need to work with. How has this been for you? So in, in the way, in the field of filmmaking, like surrounding mm -hmm. ourselves with- Or in life in general. It's in life. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's a very interesting question because you can, you can look at um, the dream of becoming a filmmaker or the dream of being an artist. You know, you do have to have good people around you and you also have to have people who believe in you and but will be honest you know all of the, the things that are important that aren't going to inflate you and make you think you're better than you really are or tell you you're you don't need to continue to work on something when you do um and i think that's like a value that i have within my family um they they are makers they're artists um like i mentioned my father uh, was a photographer and my mother was in a very business role but she's a, a musician she's you know very crafty she's 
somebody who is really, really artistic. And um, they never let me get away with thinking that I was like the best, the best, the best, but they would always celebrate my wins, but they would tell me when I needed to work on something. And I, I think because of that kind of dynamic, I always strive to prove like, do you guys love it? Like, I really care about what they, they think. Um, but beyond that, with when it comes within the realm of friends and when you're working in something like film, that's very competitive and it's very like kind of cutthroat at some times. Um, I think Melanie mentioned this as well in, in the intro, the jealousy part is so easy for people to slip into of like, well, why did you get that opportunity? And I didn't, and I've heard people say that. And that's so interesting. I was reflecting as you both were speaking and the people who had those kinds of jealous sort of vibes to them are not people who I am around anymore. They might've been friends at a certain time, but those who kind of turn their nose up, or maybe you heard through another friend say, why did she get that? And I didn't or something. Um, I think that it's, it's been sort of very important to keep people close who um, want the best for me and I want the best for them too. And there's a lot of women, like I've just noticed kind of reflecting on before we, we had this you know, popped on this call, I knew the theme there's, there's a lot of women I feel that are in my corner and I'm in theirs. And it is a really good give and take relationship of like building each other up. If we see something that's an opportunity, we hear about somebody saying, oh, hey, there's this grant. We always share. And I don't have that current in my you know mid thirties. I don't have the relationship of people trying to tear me down or being like maybe the perception of the caddy woman or something like that, you know, that kind of. <laughs> so I, yeah, it's been a really important it's been a really important theme in my life. And I think it's luckily naturally happened. I haven't had to make too many conscious like efforts to like cut people out that aren't serving of my sort of goals, but um, it's, it's definitely something I can look at and reflect on and see, like, I've, I've kind of hoarded the people who make me feel good. <laughs> yes. Yes. And yeah, that actually segues very nicely to my, my question. So Liz, when you select the people, and when I'm saying select, it's for work for focusing. So when you have to select a team of individuals that are going to work alongside of you to help lift you up and bring your project or film or whatever you're working on to that next level, how do you select those people? Um, I... I want to first and foremost feel that they care as much as I care, because if you care, you're going to show up, you're going to hit deadlines. You're going to think about it more than, Oh, I finished the day or I finished what was asked of me. There there's like the effort level I think is when, when I can tell people really care about a project and people who have maybe showed care in the past or showed consideration and energy are those people I want to bring in. Um, and then also picking a team is very important that there is strength or that we collaborate well. So like people aren't, the ego isn't, isn't high amongst people. I feel like those who are willing to listen and change and like adapt are like the people I love working with. Um, I'm never afraid to admit that like maybe my initial thought wasn't great or that it was could use improvement. So I think ego putting people who don't put ego so high up on the, the list is who I collect. 
is that why you work so well with Gerda and I? Just ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. No, and that's so important. So thank you for sharing. Go ahead, Gerda. Yes. And then you mentioned ego, of course. <laughs> like, so tell us a time that you've worked with someone and you thought this person would be an asset and then you realize that mm, not so much. Mm, great. Yeah. Question. And it's funny that when you say that it's, it's a person who I thought would have care to take in extra like time to, for example, this was in a filmmaking um, perspective. We'd gotten, I'd gotten a grant for something um, with my, my producing team and relied on somebody who was a very, you know, established sort of cinematographer and just feeling that, you know, this is really important in my you know, my career on my resume, this is going to be a big deal for me. But that person sort of not reviewing the script, just the feeling that they could show up to just do what they do because their ego basically drove that like, well, why do I need to review something? I've shot a million things like this before. And ultimately it it led to, um, there wasn't a continuity. There was like a, you know, disjointed sort of way that we produced and I couldn't rely on that person because they were just working from in the moment. There was no roots to the project. And that was really disappointing because I was so, I was so dedicated and they just weren't, they didn't match my dedication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Following up to that, what did you learn about yourself during that experience? Cause that is a tough one. Um, some not fun things. <laughs> I learned, um, that it, at that point that I was overwhelmed by the weight of like the pressure that was on with like that budget, that kind of money being dedicated to a project. Mm-hmm. And I felt, um, I felt almost like, like a little child part of me was activated when I was on set feeling like I wanted to hide <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel powerful. I felt very like, um, like I was scrambling to sort of answer questions and that I didn't feel supported. So you might feel sort of like you're on the playground and people are maybe not liking you. And I was caring about things that I shouldn't have been caring about. Like, uh, in that moment, I should have just been focusing on my job at hand. And, um, yeah, just things I learned in that moment was that I, I needed to maybe trust myself more and be more secure. And I was just felt very insecure. So it was kind of a nasty, nasty revelation, but very good to learn. Very good to have happen. Yes. Yes. And that, that was going to be my next question. How has, because you've been through those types of experiences, how have they shaped you into the woman that you are today? Uh, I think that it, it, it was like an icky feeling. So a feeling that mm-hmm. I, I could identify did not make me feel good. And I, I'm a ruminator, right? I will, I will stew on, not stew in a bad way, but just, I will, I reflect a lot on Welcome. daily things. <laughs> yeah. And, and I ruminate on like, okay, well, what could have been better or what could I have done to make that better? Or how can I ask people to treat me? You know, if there's all these things that you can ask yourself um, for better outcome. And I think what I, what's come from that is, is exactly what you guys were asking before, which is like, how do I collect the people that are around me? Um, and I wouldn't, though maybe the personality sort of 
of those people that made me feel that way. Like I'm not going to lean on them again or collect them or I'll demand in it, you know, nicely. (laughs) I'll demand, I'll demand the attention that whatever I'm doing is deserving of, or I will make sure that I, if I see those red flags I saw and went, Oh, but there's such like an established person, I should just be quiet. And like, you know, whatever. Um, there's a lot of like, uh, I think conditioning that happens in being, um, a a female bodied person at birth that we get conditioned through our childhood to, um, not want to make people feel uncomfortable and make sure that we're, you know, nurturing, but there is another facet to that, which is like, we also matter. And we also need to tell people how we want to be treated and, and not kind of put up with the BS. So I think, I think that's what I learned from that was to just make sure that I'm being heard and then collecting people that make me feel good who I trust. Wow. So, so important. Liz, let's take it a little bit broader from your observations and your insight, your own experience, but just also from being in so many different elements of life. What are some of the consequences you see happening to people or yourself by not surrounding yourself with the right people? I've I've always been very impacted by, um, I'm probably going to butcher the quote, but it's something in and around um, trying to be sure you're not the smartest person in the room or like that you can be challenged. Um, on a bro- in a broader sense, I see when people aren't challenged or there isn't somebody that's even just, the person doesn't have to be a millionaire who's, you know, whatever, checking all these perceived boxes off that make you successful. But even if it's in one area of life, you know, you have a friend and maybe they're still trying to get like their education or something, but in whatever way, whatever that looks like, but maybe they're like really knowledgeable about finances or, um, somebody else you, you, you have a friendship with, it has gotten a lot of really great interpersonal skills or like we can learn from so many aspects of people and what they are strong in. Um, and, and I think when, when you're probably not matched or like you're this, if you are excelling past who you're with, I think that you just inevitably see that people um, aren't challenged and like humans need to be challenged. They need to show or be see, like be shown or, or understand that um, you don't just ever arrive at being finished. You're never finished. Right. And so um, I think I see people just sort of um, uh, being cool with being mediocre. And a lot of folks might just think, that and that doesn't mean that you have to hustle all the time it doesn't mean you have to like there's a kind of a a a toxic culture out there of like you have to continuously be successful and moving and moving like I don't think that that's what that means I think that we can challenge ourselves to sit with a problem or challenge ourselves to um a financial challenge or whatever it might be it can be very small and that still means that you're moving forward Uh, but I think that people just settle for like oh that's good enough like, ah, uh, it's fine. I don't need to try harder. Yes. And what does that do to us as human beings? <laughs> I think it makes people just very apathetic, right? It just mm-hmm. makes people not care. Mm-hmm. Because if you just look at yourself of like, you can't see the forest from the trees and you say like, okay, I'm cool with like, I think you should always try to see what else you can learn about yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, if you've graduated from school and you've got the job you think you wanted, or you feel maybe is good enough to earn or whatever it is, but like, have you ever tried a hobby or like 
pick up a, a skipping rope and just give it a try. Like just something random. Even I, I think people become very like, okay, I'm fine now. And then you, you just stop wanting to look past your front door. I think that's, that's so sad. And it, and it makes people very, um, uh, yeah, apathetic and just, they don't go forward. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I use the word, we talk a lot about being stuck. You know, you just, you want something, but you just yes. don't know how to pivot to do it. What do you do to get unstuck? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That's a question. And a half. <laughs> mm. Well, I felt stuck recently. Um, and I do think that that was, I think that was a product of being on alert, especially within a pandemic environment and especially within even you don't want to make a move to do something because you're worried, like, am I going to like financially, is that going to be a good idea? Because I might need to, you have the, the kind of um, inkling that you should like save or the inkling you shouldn't do anything major or make any major changes. So I kind of liken it to your clenching. You're kind of like, if you've ever held your fist clenched for a really long time, if you're holding something, whatever, and you let it go, you know, you feel weakened afterwards, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you're physically are weakened. Mm-hmm. So there is clenching inside too, right? I think that people are like kind of holding their breath, I guess is another yeah. way you could say it. Yes. And so I felt like that sort of has been lately what's happened. And for me, arriving back at a place of meditation. So I use an app <laughs> and it's just, I set a timer and it's 10 minutes a day that I just listen to this lovely you know, person with an Australian accent, just tell me about being resilient. (laughs) And that helps me because it gives me like a mantra for the day, or it gives me some sort of thing to ruminate on. And so that is like, it could be prayer for some people. It could be meditation for others. Um, I think it's all just about like stopping. And um, for me, how I sort of get unstuck is writing like a goal list down, making a vision board. It might sound kind of cheesy, but I think that those things are really important. Um, And then talking to people, there's like meditation and talking to people about a topic. So um, in in the process of unclenching, you know, bringing things up with very good, you know, best friends and my parents and things like that and, and talking things out. And I talk to myself a lot and that might sound a little weird, but um, I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> I've done it since I was a kid. I, I touch talk issues out or I talk problems out. My therapist re- reassures me it's totally fine. <laughs> I don't answer back, <laughs> but yeah. So um, I think like uh, un- unsticking myself is about like working problems out and that's like in therapy and, and meditation, I think. Now I would like to know the qualities that you are looking for in people that you want to work with? What are the main qualities that you want to see in those people? I, I think resilience is something I've, I think of a lot in terms of grit. I know that that's been something um, you ladies have spoken about before. And the qualities of, of people who I think it's okay to, to be sad when something happens, that's maybe sad. I think that's mm-hmm. totally fine, but to pick yourself up and start again, that's what I've been doing my whole life mm-hmm. ever since being a kid, who's been told like, you know, you're too hyperactive or you're too this or, or, 
what's going on. Why do you think that way? You know, by mostly by the education system, honestly, but like, I never listened to anybody who told me that I couldn't do something. I've been stubborn in a way. Um, and so I think that I really admire resilience of people who, um, will just keep going or go back to the drawing board. Um, and the quality of, I think, supporting each other. And that like, I get, I get like the butterflies of like how much I love my friends and how much I know that they love me. So like that passion of like sharing, being loving and supportive. Um, those are qualities. I think like if you're loving and supporting and you have resilience, I feel like those are three major pillars that are, are fantastic qualities because everything kind of falls second to those. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think that's why we work very well together. Like yeah. you, Melanie, mm-hmm. Melanie and myself. I truly believe that's why. Because mm. as you said, it's very, very important because to feel supported and also to give support is something that you know everyone needs. And yes, I totally agree. And <laughs> Melanie. Yes. So now, Liz, you, I, as we mentioned at the beginning, you work behind the scenes with taking another look with us as well as in other components. And you're, you're, you're great at giving us insight and feedback and giving us ideas that we don't consider. What advice or perspective do you think it is that you would give our audience about surrounding yourself with like-minded people that will lift you up? Hmm. I think it's the key to life. Um, There's always going to be people who don't want you to do well. They might not tell you that, but there's still energy that's going to be out there that, you know, why did I feel like that conversation was weird? Or like, why did I feel (laughs) Mm -hmm. those things are toxic? Um, I think that you'll always have people who judge, you know, what do they say? Haters going to hate. You're always going to have maybe family that doesn't support that, you know, many people don't don't come from supportive families and there's always going to be judgment or maybe it's from a place of fear that they're worried for you, but it comes off as like judgy or pushy or something like that or pressure. Um, I think that finding things and people who you're like are generally interesting and that you care about and that they care back at you. I think that's probably the advice of like, making sure you're connecting with things you care about, but it, it, it's, it's also about knowing, like you have to know yourself and you have to be connected with elements of yourself to be able to say, I really care about like what Gerda and Melanie are doing. And I care about helping them, but also uh, being a part of something that matters and being a part of something, you know, you have to know what you like. And I think people are just really in this kind of rat race of following what they think they should do or following what they think they should like and dressing what they think they should dress like yeah. every, all of that builds up sort of um, who we're meant to, who, who we, who we think we should be. And there's like a, you know, a separation in that we have to get down to sort of like knowing ourselves. So if you can challenge yourself to know yourself uh, or, or get to know yourself, I should say, and then really think about what you care to do. And I think it, it's that getting to that place of, of care and mutual, mutual, mutual support. That's amazing advice. Thank you. Gerda, the, yeah. uh, this question is our number one question. I'm going to ask it because you've got something in store for Liz after this. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Okay, we're all about the uncomfortable conversation here at Take Another Look. So can you please share with us one of 
the most uncomfortable conversations you've ever had to have? What was it about and how did you cope with it? Oof. Juicy. <laughs> Juicy. It would have been related to the way somebody was treating me. And it was somebody who isn't as easily, not in a colleague sense where you can say, okay, maybe I won't work with that person on the next project. Or maybe, you know, we come across people maybe we don't gel with and we can circumvent them in a different way. So this is a maybe a conversation I had with, with somebody who isn't going anywhere, <laughs> right? Um, there are people in our lives we just will have to manage to deal with. And um, I think that what came from that conversation was I felt like an adult after I had that, like a real adult <laughs> when I had that conversation because I chose to be calm and I chose to be collected and not relying on like an emotional fire or um, we all have had, remember when we've gotten into conversations or arguments and then later been like, why didn't I say that? Or mm -hmm. I should have, I should have calmed down before I responded. Like I felt that I had done that. I felt that I also, the biggest, you know, it's not going to be a surprise to many people who have done this, but the biggest takeaway was developing boundaries mm -hmm. and letting people know you can't talk to me like that. And you cannot treat me like that. And this is why, but a conversation it, that was so difficult because it was like enough had been enough. It was affecting my mental health. It was affecting my physical well-being, mm -hmm. right? Like when you're getting to feeling nervous and a, a sick to your stomach about something. So it was a very difficult conversation because I had never stood up for myself like that in a very pointed, real way. Mm -hmm. And it was like, difficult but the best thing because I could say no you may not <laughs> about me right all right wow Good for you wow. wow power right there uh, oh, yes chills. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes th that is very powerful when we come to that level and this is the way I call it I call it a level when you come to that level it's like, can't touch this. <laughs> what it right? feels like. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Now we are going to go, we, I like to call it rapid fire questions. So awesome. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> You're ready? Okay. Ah. Share with us one person from the movies, leadership style that you like. Meryl Streep. I don't know why that comes to mind, but I feel like she could probably command everything. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Meryl Streep, okay. I guess. I don't even know if I've seen anything that she was a leadership role in, but she just came to mind. So it's rapid fire. I'm going to try to leave it okay. short. <laughs> what about communication side? Um, Oprah. Okay. Okay. What is the last book you read recently? Um, Melanie's book. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> getting vision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, getting vision. Yes. Getting vision. Yeah. <laughs> now, <Hashtag>. name five. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag getting vision. Yeah. I know that's what this yes. is. Yeah. 
<laughs> Name five movies that you've seen in your life that left an impression. Okay. Um, the book, it was based on the book called A Prayer for Owen Meaning, but that wasn't the title of the, um, the movie. Yes. Okay. You know what but I'm talking about? Um, now and Then. Uh, the World According to Garp. Mm, yes. Um, uh, King Fisher. Mm -hmm. And Drop Dead Gorgeous. Ooh, okay. Okay, so now name five songs that are on your playlist. Oh, gosh. Uh, Let It Be. Okay. Um, Slow Boat to China. Um, uh, when Two Become One by the Spice Girls. <laughs> um, there's a song right now that's on my playlist because of my son. I have to bring it up. It's called Diggy Diggy Hole. Okay. Oh, that sounds so random. And um, uh, Smoke Detector by Rilo Kiley. Ooh, okay. Okay. So now, according to the last the five movies you named and the five songs that you've also shared with us, tell us in one sentence what does that say about you? Oh. <laughs> I'm very attached to nostalgia. Mm. Mm. Okay, wow, that was good, thank you. Yes. And then all, now it's time for word association. Red. Gerda and Melanie. <laughs> <laughs> Not just because you're wearing red, but also because you're both passionate. <laughs> okay. Son. Uh, Finn, my son. Mm. Blue. Uh, my mom. Emotions. Uh, childhood. And the last one, success. And goal. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you so very much. Thank, Thank you. you very much. It's been a pleasure. And so the nice. more I heard you speak, the more I felt that we were kindred spirits, all three of us. Thank mm -hmm. you. Oh, for sure. And I'm so excited. Liz, thank you for joining us as our very first guest on Take Another Look. This was exciting. Garrett, I can't wait to see our next, who we've got lined up coming up. We're going to be hearing from different perspectives, but this was definitely setting the bar high. So thanks, mm -hmm. Liz. To our audience, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Take Another Look podcast. You know the drill. Like and subscribe here on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Check out our website, takeanotherlookpodcast.com, where we have our blog, right, Gerda? Yes, we have. <laughs> all of our past episodes. So you can check us out there. If you have any questions for Liz, send them to contact at takeanotherlookpodcast.com and we'll definitely make sure she gets them. As well as you can, of course, comment on the episode. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Melanie. Joined by... Yada Felix and our guest, Liz. Liz. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.